Blog Talk Radio. Get ready for another episode of Sherry Clip with your host, Sherry Johnson. select the exact apps geared towards common core learning standards that maximize a child's potential to learn. For more information, visit iprepgenius.com. Welcome to Sherry Clip. I'm sorry about our little sponsored ad there. For some reason, the audio was down on that. So I will have to play that one more time at the end of the show. I apologize. We did miss the beginning of that. I have no idea how that happened. But I I don't know. We'll play it at the end of the show. Anyways, um, I do want to mention real quick um, that this past week, Sevier County, Tennessee, was caught in a terrible night of fires that overtook several small communities, as well as parts of Glattenburg. And many of the people there lost their homes, businesses, and loved ones. And Daniel Payton stepped up to help aid in the victims. Um, he is, he is, I'm sorry, <laughs> 100% of the profits from a book he wrote called Wisdom Springs will be donating 100% of that to the people fund. Oh my goodness, this is written all backwards and I don't know why it was sent like this, but 100% of the profits from the sales of Wisdom Springs will be donated to the My People Fund to help the victims of the Sevier County fires in Tennessee. And Daniel, that's really awesome of you. I, That's an amazing thing that you've done. Um, even if it's on print, he says, 100% of those profits will help the people in Tennessee. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, Now, tonight, I am honored to have a special guest on my show, Michelle DeLuccio. At this time, I'm going to welcome Michelle to the show where she can explain who she is and what she is all about. Michelle? Hi, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, Just to tell you a little bit about myself, um, I have a website called The Desert Warrior, and um, I have pretty much talked a lot about um, using expressive arts therapy and just using creative techniques to deal with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injury. And I've also recently written a book that is um, being pitched to different publishing houses and is being adapted as a screenplay. And that is also called The Desert Warrior. And I was in Iraq for a year in Ramadi between 2004 and 2005 and served about eight years in the Army altogether as both a medic and a mental health sergeant. Wow. That is amazing. Now, how long have you were you in the military for, can I ask? Um, eight years altogether. Wow. Wow, well, a long time. So you have now written yourself a book based on – what you've done in the military? Yeah, um, part of it is about the military. Um, I don't go into uh, a lot of great detail throughout the majority of the book regarding what happened in Iraq, but the first chapter or so is set in Iraq and explains, gives a little bit of a backstory about uh, why I come back as angry and <laughs> lost as I did. 
And the rest of the book is about the journey home from the time I get home from Iraq in late 2005 uh, all the way up until 2012 where the book concludes. So it really is about the process of finding home, defining what that is for you, and and actually making it work, making things happen, even when you have a lot of things stacked against you. Right. Wow. So when did you decide that you would write about all your experiences? I would say it was maybe about um, a year or two after I got back. And I used to really be into art before I deployed, and that was my, my pressure valve, my outlet. So anytime I was stressed out, I could draw, paint, do whatever, and that would help assuage some of whatever anger, sadness, whatever emotion that you want to you wanna call it. And when I got back, it just disappeared. Nothing was working for me. Nothing that used to make me happy or excited to me, um, nothing was working. <laughs> so I tried to force myself to draw, paint, do creative projects again, but it just wasn't sinking in. It was just like somebody sapped my mojo and it was all gone. Oh. And it it really was a, a process of of trying to come back to that and knowing that if I could find a way to rediscover that fire, things could be better. I don't know if it's going to work, but things could work out. And I went on a process of doing a lot of traveling. I just didn't feel at home when I came back to the United States and I ended up taking a scholarship to study abroad in Prague and the Czech Republic, and did some traveling there, did some traveling back to my mother's uh, native uh, islands in Northern Mariana Island, Saipan, um, a lot of World War II history there. But um, I, I travel all over the place and live all over the United States, and I come to a point where uh, I was invited to a workshop in Arizona, and when I came there, something just happened. It was like the light turned on, and... It, it was just a point where I felt like I felt happy somehow. Something I felt comfortable, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to move here. <laughs> I'm going to make it work. And mm-hmm. I ended up moving out to the desert, and my love for art was rekindled somehow. I I just followed my, my instincts on it. And in the book, I describe the dream that really pushed me towards uh, following that goal and just really giving the unknown a chance. And I'm glad it worked out. But um, as far as writing, our writing came first, uh, writing about my experiences. I did that in Iraq. And when I came back, it really took a lot more out of me to get back to that point. And I ended up doing it for a scholarship contest. And even though I didn't get the scholarship, it really prompted me to do more of it. So I did a little bit here and there. I wrote about my experience in Iraq, and it's in an ebook called Quixote and Ramadi, like Don Quixote. And... Um, I ended up doing that, and this book, I didn't start writing until maybe 2014, and I wrote it throughout my whole graduate school course, (laughs) and um, even though I just graduated from USC in in May, um, I ended up finishing the book just right around that time, so even though I was already manic and studying (laughs) and doing everything else in between, I was also writing a memoir, (laughs) so it just seemed to work out. I like to stay busy. And now um, after multiple rejections from literary agents, publishers, I finally have a great literary agent. It's being shopped to different publishers right now. I have a great editor I'm working with. And I also have a friend who uh, did one of the drafts for me or worked with me on one of the drafts and is adapting it for a screenplay. So it's it's very surreal <laughs> what's happening going from feeling lost and alone 
to getting no VA care at first and to this. It's it's amazing. Wow, you you definitely sound busy. <laughs> With everything I have to. you've been doing go to <laughs> Where do you find time to write? I mean <laughs> and I have kids. <laughs> so oh, it's even more, more time consuming than anything else. But um wow. yeah, it, it really was just having to write a lot of papers too, um, not being able to sleep. Uh, I deal every now and then with insomnia. Sometimes I can sleep through the night, some nights I'm just awake and I need to do something. So whether it's create a project, um, and that could be writing, art, um, I, need, I know I need to stay busy. It's when I don't stay busy that's where, um, that's where I think anybody's in trouble, including me. Right, I agree. Same with me. Happens. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, when the house is quiet, you can focus. And it, it, do you think that's when you do a lot of your writing? Oh, absolutely. I think I wrote the majority of my book in bed and partially on my phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do, do you hand write or do, are you up with like a computer and you're typing it all out? I've actually done the entire skeleton of the book on my phone. So spacing out wow. the chapters, what the chapters are about, the whole chapter outline I did on my phone. And parts of the book because sometimes in the middle of the night you get that stroke of inspiration and you don't want to completely like wait for the computer to turn on your phone's right there so I get on my phone go to notes boom 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 got to put this in I forgot and I did this for a good year and a half two years wow oh my gosh I I, I I'm thinking carpal tunnel there with the thumb bit going on <laughs> yeah but I think once you're in that moment you just kind of forget about how uncomfortable it is and it just flows out. <laughs> right. No, that's Hey, whatever works, right? If it's going to help you get this down, then there you go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, technology whatever is so amazing now. You can use a phone and write a book on it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm living proof that that's possible. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, your book is becoming a screenplay. This is huge. Tell me about this. Well, um, before I started working with my current editor, you know, editing your book it can be pretty pricey. So it could range from, you know, having somebody look over it and do a content or copy edit. And, you know, that could range from a few hundred bucks to thousands of dollars easily. So um, one of the editors that I'm working with, he typically does both copy content edit and ghostwriting for 25 grand a pop. So when I heard this from my literary agent, I said, no way. <laughs> like, I used some of my disability <laughs> money to go to editing. No, <laughs> like, I cannot do this anymore, <laughs> especially when it didn't get me, you know, a book that time around. I was like, no, I, I can't really commit to anything that's not going to give me an exact result. And she said, no, I understand. Right. And she talked to the editor. And the editor said, okay, well, I'll take a look at it and see what I can do. Maybe, you know, work down the price a little bit, whatever the case may be. And I said, well, it's going to have some pretty significant, <laughs> a pretty big discount for that to happen. But, okay, fine, whatever. So he did read it. And I was expecting to hear back maybe within a month's time. You know, some people like to actually sit with the book for, you know, a good month or so, and that's totally reasonable. And I heard back from him in three days. And wow. he said, I will do this for free. 
and I was oh my god what (laughs) are you kidding me (laughs) and he said he he had only done this with one other book and the reason why he was taking this on for free was because it had movie potential and he said I will get a return on my investment so he's doing it for a royalty percentage of however the book does and that's a pretty big gamble considering that you're only going to get a few bucks back per book sold but he said, nope, this will be a movie for sure. Wow. So he knew. He must be is, – is he experienced in, like, helping people edit stuff for movies? Does he have a background in something like that? Or Yeah, he's actually edited and ghostwritten for quite a few famous authors and public figures. So, yeah, he, he does have that background. So even though, I mean – you know, I was thinking, like, wow, he's taking a big gamble on me. <laughs> but at the same time, too, if if he's experienced in this field, maybe that's saying something pretty promising for the book, even though it's gone through the ringer in <laughs> different aspects of the literary world. But um, if anything, I mean, that's a gift in and of itself to actually have somebody work on it and do it for a percentage. So that was really nice. Wow, that is great. And, you know, we're all going to thank him because it's just getting you closer to being where you want to be with this faster. (laughs) Yeah, and who knows where it might go. I mean, it might not end up as a film. It it might, but in any case, too, I mean, I think my last round of editing, I was the happiest I've ever been with the status of the book, and now having him on board with it and just trying to retinker it because um, quite a few publishers said, oh, my God, there's so much trauma in this book. (laughs) And at the same time, um, there is a way to reorder certain things so the impact of all the trauma can be parsed out a bit more. So so he's working on doing that, and he's just saying, no, don't take out any of the trauma. You have to tell people the truth. Don't sugarcoat it. This is what people need to hear right now. And I said, that's what I was aiming for. <laughs> I don't want to sugarcoat anything. I think that's what perpetuates so many problems in the veteran community is that there needs to be a lot more brutal honesty about what we're going through and what's really perpetuating a lot of these problems. Exactly. I, I agree. I, there, I know a few veterans and talk to them, and, you know, you you don't hear some of the stories, you know, that – you, if you're watching TV, you don't see, you don't see all that drama like you're talking about. And I, I really hope if it does go to screenplay that they do follow, you know, exactly the way you wrote it. It's really, it's really needed. People need to know exactly what goes on. Now, would that be hard for you to watch? Um, I think parts of it would be, but I think when I was actually writing out the the memoir itself, um, there was a process of reliving some of the trauma and not being able to sleep and just getting up and just being like, I'm just up. (laughs) I'm just going to live with this. This is going to hurt for a while, but it's okay. Because once it's out, it's out. And I've experienced the same thing with my art. And every time I've gotten through the process of painting or drawing something painful, there there tends to be that process of dealing with the pain, reliving it, thinking about it, whether it's moral injury or, you know, things that you could have done better, um, whatever the case may be that might haunt you still, uh, you're, going, you're going to relive some of that. And after the work is completed, 
I tend to experience somewhat of a relief, like it doesn't own me anymore. Like I've put this out into the world. It's real. It's validated. It's validated by my own hands. And it means something to me. And I think when we do things that mean something to us, whether it's writing or, you know, making something, whatever the case may be, I think that because it has that personal touch, it will mean a lot more to you. And that's what it's meant to me in the process. So even though some of the trauma that I've written about uh, was pretty painful to, to revisit, in, in a way, when I go back and read it, it doesn't hurt as much. So I think there is something very therapeutic about the writing process. Definitely. I, I've actually um, talked to a few life coaches in my past and I said writing stuff down is a really good way to um, get over things and dealing with it by writing it down. Um, who inspired you to write or is this just all on your own? Um, it's just something I've always done. And when I was in the process of writing out um, some of the things about Iraq in the first book, it, it was just really other people who were encouraging me along the way, people I've met along the way. Um, in the book, The Desert Warrior, I do mention them in particular. Um, there was a gentleman I met in the Czech Republic who tutored me in Czech, and he was he lived through World War II, so he remembers you know different occupations <laughs> and living under Soviet rule and um, living in the EU now, I mean, all these other different factors, I mean, he's dealt with. And a lot of times, too, actually many times while I was in the Czech Republic, um, I studied abroad, but so I had a group of Americans around me all the time. But these were, for the most part, pretty affluent American college students. <laughs> so these are not people who've had many hardships in their life. So, I mean, they led a pretty charm life period, so it was okay. But for the most part, Anytime somebody heard about my veteran status or what I did in Iraq or that I just came back, there was almost always immediate judgment, whether it was positive or negative. And it was either like, oh, you were in Iraq, you killed people, yay, or oh, you were in Iraq, you killed people, boo. And the funny thing was when it came to other Czechs who I was, you know, studying around, working with, uh, even the study abroad staff, none of them did that. They just asked me how are you feeling? What did you see? What were the people like? What did the food taste like? What was every day like? It wasn't a judgment. They were asking open-ended questions. And part of that was kind of uh, unintended, unexpected therapy at first. It was, I think, my first form of therapy was getting to talk about it without judgment. And I think so often in American culture, we, we rush to give our opinion on things instead of listening. And I think that's a big problem in so many aspects of our society that we're too quick to jump on a bandwagon and label things instead of just understand it. So I think a lot of those experiences and a lot of the people that I, I encountered there were just like, are you writing about this? Or did you write anything about this? Are you keeping track? Or what do you feel? You know, all these different questions that could have come from a mental health consultant or a counselor or therapist uh, were coming from ordinary people. And I, it really taught me a good deal about what I needed. And that's what felt good. And even though at the time I couldn't verbalize what exactly I needed because I was too busy trying to take care of the wounds within me. Um, I knew at that point that, yeah, I need, I need to talk to people, but not be judged. And it's something that seems so simple, but at that time when you're, 
you know, the lowest rung of Maslow's hierarchy, just trying to survive, and you're still in that post-war survival mode, you can't think like that. You can't think as rationally as that. And having people be compassionate with me was, and patient with me, was, I think, one of the best gifts I got in coming back. So from that point on, I try to commit to writing whenever I could. It was really hard at first for the first few years, but it's something that I never gave up on. Wow. Oh, now, you have been back since what date? I'm sorry, can you say it again? You have been back out of the military since what date? I officially got out of the Army in, in September 2006. 2006, wow. And now you have your own family and you're writing and you have all this stuff going on for you. Um, how old are your kids? Do they understand, like, where you've been? And all that, or are they still little? Um, well, I, my stepdaughter is 10, and oh, okay. my little one is 4. So she doesn't understand yet, but my, my oldest one, um, she does ask questions here and there, or she's seen pictures of me in full battle rattle, and she was just <laughs> like, wow, what did she do? And, you know, and, and it's really innocent. And it's, it's funny to hear kids ask questions like that and what genuinely comes out of them without any prompting. It's just honest. <laughs> and kids just, yeah. you know, tend to have less of a filter. <laughs> so they just come out and ask. And they're like, oh, God. <laughs> but for the most part, I mean, it's, you know, you know it's so innocent. And you, of course, want to answer uh-huh. in the best way possible to get them to, you know, just be understanding with other people that they might ask. So, you know, if she's asking a lot of really tough questions, you know, I could say, you know, you know, I can let you know a little bit about it, but it might be tough for you to understand until you get a bit older, then I can tell you more. And she would be like, oh, right. okay. Well, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but my and little one she'll just be able looks to at watch pictures it. and she goes, she goes, oh, that's mommy. She's a warrior. But I don't think awesome. she understands what that means either, but maybe she does. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Now, how did you come up with that name now that you mentioned it? Well, um, the Desert Warrior title, I at first, when I tell people what the name of the book is or my website, they think it's me. And this is kind of like a little bit of a spoiler alert, but not, because <laughs> it's probably going to be on the jacket. <laughs> um when I was in one of my lowest points when I got back from Iraq, it was after I had a divorce. I was living in Massachusetts by myself, and I'm not from Massachusetts, but I was living there because that's where I ended up getting a divorce. And I had no friends except, you know, people I knew from work, but, you know, you can only say so much <laughs> to people that you work with about what's going on with you. And I was by myself a lot. So when I went on that workshop in Arizona that kind of changed my mind, um, you know, I, I was inspired. I was like, wow, I really want to live in the Southwest. But when I went home about a week later, I had this crazy, surreal dream about a woman appearing to me in the desert who seems like this really fierce warrior woman out of nowhere to say, leave everything behind, come to Arizona, and you will learn to love again. And that was it. I mean, that's all I remember what she said in the dream. And the dream was just beautiful. You know, one of those dreams that's so real and you just wake Mm -hmm. up and you're just like, that that couldn't have been fake. (laughs) Or I want to go back into that dream. And it was just so wonderful that I was just thinking, you know, what the hell do I got to lose? Like, I have nothing here. I'm not happy here. This is not my home. And if I'm going to be happier in some Mm -hmm. other state, um, 
and start anew from a life that fell apart, really, then I'll give it a shot. So I applied for jobs, and somebody out there um, in the state of Arizona ended up saying, hey, I saw you in a documentary called Lioness, and that was a documentary I took part in, but I wasn't the main focus or anything, but it was about what we did in Iraq. And she said, apply for jobs, I'll put in a good word for you. And that's what I did, and I ended up getting a job a few months later, and they said, how soon can you be here? It's down to you and another candidate. Um, how soon can you come? And I said, give me a few days to clear up my apartment <laughs> and give me about a week to drive there, and I'll be there. So about a week and a half, two weeks, um, I said I would be there, and I was. So I drove from Massachusetts down to Florida, said hello to my parents, and then took I-10 all the way to Phoenix where um, – a good chunk of the story get takes a, a different turn. <laughs> so it's for the better too, mind you, but um, that's where I ended up calling the desert my home. And in the end, um, I end up meeting the desert warrior, but I can't tell you who she is. That's okay. <laughs> uh, well, we'll just have to find out. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't spoil everything, but the desert warrior is definitely not me. Okay, that's good to know. That that leaves us hanging. We we got to find out. <laughs> uh, now, now Michelle, I'm I'm actually in Massachusetts. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, no. So I thought the number was Pennsylvania. Yeah. So I I I assumed it was Pennsylvania, but cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually um in Western Mass, Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I don't know if you're anywhere near there, or if you're out near the uh, Boston. I, or, I was actually living in Gardner, Massachusetts. Before. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, that was I, a, I can see why you said there's nothing there for you. Oh, no, but there's some <laughs> nice people in Gardner, but there was life changed, <laughs> and I was really by myself. Yeah. And not having any friends in an area like that where, you know, it's, it's out there. I mean, it's it's a good drive from, you know, going into, into Boston or going down to Worcester. So, so yeah, it, it can feel a little desolate at times. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm so glad you're able to find your spot, your place you need to be in Arizona. <laughs> I've never been there, and hopefully someday I can go there. <laughs> but well, actually, I, I do hear I, I live in Las Vegas now, <laughs> but desert oh, wow. still. <laughs> mhm. Nice. Very nice. Now, do you have any other plans for writing any other books coming up, or? Yeah, I do. Um, I'm actually in the process of working on a manuscript called Toxic Leadership, and it's about tying in different aspects of toxic leadership while in, while in the military and how that does tie into higher rates of PTSD and how it does directly tie into PTSD. So I'm working with a, a fellow um, Army mental health uh, professional, and she's a clinical psychologist. She uh, deployed four times, and she was with me in Iraq through my first book, actually. <laughs> so um, she's partly working on it, and the other person that's working on it is uh, a retired lieutenant colonel from the Marine Corps named Mike Zakia, and he's writing part of the book um, covering a lot of the macro aspects of what happened, what went wrong in Iraq leadership-wise, um, and what we could do better. So a lot of the things that we're, we're covering are everything from specific case studies 
to looking at things from a broader perspective and saying, okay, here are our problems, but here are some potential solutions on how we can move forward. That's what I'm working on right now. Well, that's great. Well, we have, we have about two minutes left. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to mention real quick to our listeners. Wow. Well, we talked about a lot, so um, if you do want to okay. know more, you can, of course, go to my website. It's www.thedesertwarrior.com, and you can read a bit more about um, any upcoming projects, events that I'm doing, and if you have any questions on whether it's uh, using the arts to deal with trauma or anything at all that you have questions about, feel free to reach out. That's awesome. And I, I think I might have pronounced your name wrong in the beginning, and I apologize. Um, it's Michelle. <laughs> no worries. Michelle Delocchio. Yes, it's Delocchio. Good. <laughs> you get points. Awesome. awesome. Nobody well, can Michelle, pronounce thank it. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for thank having you me. So Appreciate much it. For coming on the show. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And please let us know if there's, you know, when you get your other book going, come back on again. Talk to us again. We'll do. Let us know what's going on. We want to know more about right. this book when it, if it reaches screenplay or whatever. We want to hear from you. Okay. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Have yourself a good night, and thanks for being on Cherry Clip. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Have a good night. You too. And everyone, once again, the Sherry Clip here with Michelle Delocchio. Um, she was talking to us about her book that hopefully goes to screenplay, and we'll have to keep an eye on her and find out more about her as things happen. So everyone, we'll talk to you again in just a couple of days. So everyone stay tuned. Have yourselves a great night. This episode is brought to you by iPrepGenius.com. iPrepGenius believes every child is capable of genius. We seek to help teachers select the exact apps geared towards common core learning standards that maximize a child's potential to learn. For more information, visit iPrepGenius.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sherry Clip. For more information, visit us online at www.briansherryshow.com or facebook.com forward slash sherry.clip. See you next time.